Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. Or it was like watching an animal that had been hit by a car or something and, and just it was sitting there wounded and no one was doing anything about it. So I just basically, uh, uh, I had some spare skis with me for my athletes and uh, spare poles and uh, I saw that he needed a ski and I, I ran down a couple big embankments kind of right in the middle of the stadium and uh, gave the athlete a, a spare ski and he was able to finish the race then in a normal skiing fashion. I mean, he he was last in that race, but uh, um, I think, you know, being, it was a Russian athlete and being in the home country in the home stadium, uh, he was able to fi- finish with dignity and... Uh... This podcast, 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, is brought to you by our sponsor, SOS Rehydrate. It's an organic drink mix as effective as an IV drip. It's proven by science and used by elite athletes because only the best will do for elite athletic performance. So for all your hydration needs, our listeners today get 15% off if you enter the code mental toughness at INeedSOS.com. This episode is brought to you by Some Sleep. Go to getsome.com. That's G E T S O M.com. We all deserve a better night's sleep. You drink one can 30 minutes before bed, and it's that simple. This awesome blend lets you not only fall asleep fast, but then wake up feeling absolutely refreshed, not hungover or foggy. You're going to absolutely love this product. And in fact, if you go to getsome.com, and enter in the promo code Dr. Rob Bell, D R R O B B E L L, you get 10% off. Guarantee you're gonna love this product. Go there right away. So, welcome again to the Robcast, 15 minutes of mental toughness. Very excited about this guest today. I reached out to him uh, because a really significant hinge moment that I wanted to learn more about and then to share it with you. This is a uh, three time Olympian in cross-country skiing, which I, which I know you all are very familiar with, uh, four-time uh, USA ski team coach, and then was a head coach for Canada cross-country ski team for six years. Um, during that time, had a gold medal in Oslo. This is, uh, this is Coach Justin Wadsworth. C- coach, thanks for joining us, man. You're welcome, yeah, nice to be here. Um, you know, obviously it's about mental toughness. What's one thing about cross-country skiing, though, that, that nobody has any idea about, like one of those intricacies of sport? I, you know, a lot of people claim their sport's the hardest, uh, most physical, you know, most painful. But I honestly, you know, there's been a lot of studies in cross-country skiing, you know, is, uh, I would say, the toughest sport, um, you know, based on our our courses and how the the body's used you know almost every muscle in the body's used uh the balance the the power that's involved and it is very painful and uh and it's a full you have to have the full package like you do in a lot of sports you know you can't just be a, a tremendous 
tremendous physical talent. You have to have the mental strength and tenacity and resilience uh, because it takes years and years to get to a, a mature enough physical level to be the best in the world in cross-country skiing. So it's not an overnight thing, even if you want it to be. So, um, yeah, it's incredibly tough in that respect. It takes a lot of years, a lot of grinding it out, and uh, and you don't get a lot of glory. So it's, uh, you know, there's not a lot of carrots dangling in front of you during the process. So the whole the whole package makes it one of the toughest sports, in my opinion. Yeah, I just I just have to watch that team sprint, and then, I, man, I see how tough that is. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The guys are hurting in that pretty bad, and then you got to keep going around and around again. So, yeah. yeah. So, in terms of like mental toughness, what does it mean to you? I mean, mental toughness is, I guess, the ability to just find ways to keep pushing when you don't want to. And again, you know, that can be in training, it can be on a three hour easy run where you're just, you know, you're not feeling the motivation. It's not necessarily the most painful thing, you know, like a three hour run, but finding the motivation or, you know, like I said, uh, it can be resiliency. It can be after, you know, a really devastating loss and, or a season and, and coming back and, and wanting to get better for the next year and, and just keep trying new things. Or it can be in the moment, you know, of in a race or in a situation where it's just, you feel like you can't go anymore or you you can't handle it and but you do you find that way to to bridge that gap and and anyone that's done that i think realizes how the power the the brain the mind and and uh how actually you know influential uh, mental training is because uh that's the one thing i always say to my athletes we I think in North America really undervalue mental training. A lot of other countries have put it on a higher level and I think are, are better for it. In North America, for some reason, we just don't quite get there with the mental training aspect. Uh, it's, it's a very untangible uh, thing. You can't, you know, you don't see results overnight with it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's, uh, that's my opinion, mental toughness and, and why uh, mental training is so such a key element in, in any sport. Yeah. What, so what would be one of the things that you did as a coach um, in terms of trying to build that mental toughness in somebody? Yeah, you know, we well, first we, we talked about it a lot, and of course we had a sports psychologist who was very good, and but we didn't just go through the, you know, the you know the imagery and the relaxation stuff like that we really tried to to you know have more uh, real life situations and, and try to also practice it through a, a code of conduct that revolved a lot around just mental aspects on our team so we would you know if something happened we confronted it we talked about it and you know we we moved on from there but um, so we on a day-to-day -day basis so we really tried to uh, work on things and not just, you know, like I said, going through the, you know, a lot of things that are still very, you know, valuable and effective, like, you know, the, uh, yeah, relaxation or mental imagery, you know, that we associate with, uh, with mental training. Yeah. So that just became a part of the culture of, of your program? Yeah. I mean, I tried to make it that way as, as much as possible. And, and of course, you know, it, 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 what it wanes a little bit and then it comes back and you know you always have to try to you know keep it in the forefront because it is that important yeah so as being a coach for so many years I mean, you've had a lot of highs a lot of lows um and, and one of the things i always like to talk about is, is somebody's hinge moment um 
So I was wondering if you could break down, you know, Sochi for us and, and kind of talk about the whole experience with your team and then, and then that moment. Yeah, so uh, Sochi, you know, uh, we went into it with really high expectations of our team. We had had a previous, you know, two or three seasons where we were winning a lot of medals in the Cup. We had kind of come from this uh, position in North America of not being the strongest country to one of the strongest countries with a lot of athletes with medal potential that had medaled on the World Cup. I think at one point all all seven of our World Cup athletes had medals on the World Cup and for North America that was a pretty amazing uh, thing to have in, in our pocket. So we had a, a very deep team. Uh, we prepared for Sochi. You know, a lot of people talk about preparing for four years, but we truly, you know, I started preparing for Sochi maybe three and three quarter years out uh, from the games and really trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and uh, we were ready. I felt like uh, it was a very difficult place to have the Olympics uh, with the physical geography of where the cross-country skiing was. It was located on top of a mountain and uh, there was no road access to the really? venue. Um, yeah, there was just a lot of things so we I had to try to do a lot of preparation for the team for food and whatnot just to make sure everything was uh, was done as as best as we could to give our athletes the opportunity so i went into the games thinking we had the best setup our athletes were prepared and uh, our wax uh staff was prepared was waxing cross-country skiing plays a very vital role without fast skis uh you just can't win races you can yeah. be the best athlete in the world but without the right skis and the right wax you you just won't get there so there's a lot of factors a lot of variables in cross-country skiing we tried to you know consider everything and I thought we were ready we got in there and then uh, for some reason the weather and the wax that the waxing conditions really uh, played havoc on our wax staff and and the trickle down from that was a lot of pressure on the coaching staff and on the athletes because the athletes were ready to win medals the coaches were ready for the athletes to win medals uh, but the skis and and then the subsequent kind of trickle down of the confidence and the wax staff and some of the other things that happened really uh, basically put our team behind uh, the eight ball midway through the games and and to be honest we didn't crawl back out of it uh, we really we tried to with every race but uh, we just were not having success so it was uh, starting to really weigh on everybody there uh, it was a tough tough Olympics for us can you talk about that uh, you know that kind of that trickle down effect and, and, and what happened and how that affected everybody yeah I mean again we 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 had talked about the possibilities of something like this happening and and we tried to prepare for it with our sports psychologists you know just open honest communication you know no blaming uh, just resolving situations as they arose, not waiting, uh, you know, to, to resolve them. Or yeah, like I said, so we we really tried to stay on top of it. And um, but you know, it's funny the Olympics do funny things to people, and uh, there's a lot of pressure there, especially when you're when you're expected to perform. So it's uh, easier said than done. And uh, yeah, we were not functioning halfway through the games like the well-oiled machine that we had uh, had been for the previous three or four years. If, if you were to go back and do anything different, what would you have done different, Coach? Uh, that's a great it, question, Rob. It's, I mean, it's an easy question, I know. Yeah, obviously, I mean, I would have 
tried to somehow prepare our WAC staff better for those conditions, but we just, you know, we thought we had. We had been to the venue as much as we could have and, and tested there. Um, it was just, you know, a bunch of uh, kind of uncontrollable situations that happened. And, um, but, you know, I guess I would have still tried to focus maybe more on the mental resiliency of, of, of having a situation like that occur and not letting it phase us as much as it did because it, it did in, impact our team. And, and uh, we, even though we, we were trying to resolve it on an hour-to-hour basis and in a really positive uh, forthcoming way with the athletes and the staff it just didn't it wasn't making the impact that it should have yeah I mean I, I can't imagine you know under especially under that and you prepare for so long and then I guess to just have a couple of those things just go horribly bad yeah but you know I guess the big takeaway picture is sometimes stuff does go wrong and yeah and you know that's part of sport that's why those Olympic medals are so precious if, yeah. if, if it all went like you're expecting it to then uh, it would take a lot of the spontaneity out of the the Olympic Games and out of sport in general so right. coach let me ask you another question in terms of that um, um, you know before I get to the other moment what, what was it like you know weeks after that happens what's that like as a coach to go through that yeah you know it it's tough. I mean, it was, uh, I wanted our athletes to show the world and show themselves that they were as good as we thought they were. And, uh, so in the, the subsequent world cups, you know, we, we still had two or three weeks of world cup racing after that. And, uh, you know, just like at any time else, you just, you can only do as well as you can do in the, the moment you're in. And so just focusing on the process, we went right back to process with our coaching staff our wax team and our athletes and just didn't focus on the results even though that was the easy thing to do you know oh we got to show them you know we want to win again but we we just went back to process and 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 I think you know anytime that you 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 start to think about the result you need to have that automatic trigger to go back through the process because focusing on the result is a dangerous place to be as we all know. <laughs> yeah, no question. And then how um, how did you and the team do, you know, after the games? Yeah, for sure. We had a lot better results and uh, things went pretty well. Uh, you know, the games were an anomaly for us. And, uh, you know, it's not the first time an athlete or a team has not, has not you know, finished their Olympics with the results they wanted. It, like I said, the Olympics are strange things. They're in strange places. And... Uh, you try to do your best, so yeah, it was frustrating, but we just went back to the process and uh, and got the confidence going again, and and uh, yeah, it was ended up being the rest of the season was fine, and we had great results, but yeah, it didn't help. We don't have any Olympic hardware in our pockets still from Sochi, so it didn't help that. <laughs> yeah. So one of the uh, the ways I, I came across you, um, can you explain, you know, one of those hinge moments that happened then in the, in the men's sprint and, and your actions that, that kind of took place? Yeah, so again, the men's sprint in, in the Sochi Olympics in 2014 was a, a day that, you know, we should have had some medal opportunities. I was out on the course um, and our athletes uh, were all done. They had been knocked out of the rounds. I was still out there as a coach watching the races and, and you're, as in the coaching stations you can't really leave and walk on the course anyway so I was kind of stuck where I was and uh, 
watching, I think it was the, the semifinals or the quarterfinals, and um, uh, I was just standing there watching. I noticed on the camera that an athlete, had, uh, I think from Russia at the time, I didn't know exactly who it was, uh, had fallen and broke a ski. We were waiting, the rest of the race came by, and then uh, I saw that athlete really struggling, and uh, that was about maybe five or six hundred meters from where they fell. So they had been struggling for a long time to get to where I was, and no one was doing anything about it. And, and uh, it was, uh, I think, you know, like I, I don't know, I had described to the media before, it was like watching an animal that had been hit by a car or something, and, and just it was sitting there wounded, and no one was doing anything about it. So I just basically, uh, uh, I had some spare skis with me for my athletes and uh, spare poles and uh, I saw that he needed a ski and I, I ran down a couple big embankments kind of right in the middle of the stadium and uh, gave the athlete a, a spare ski and he was able to finish the race then in a normal skiing fashion. I mean, he he was last in that race, but uh, um, I think, you know, being it was a Russian athlete and being in the home country and the home stadium. Uh, he was able to fi finish with dignity, and uh, um, at the time, I didn't really think anything of it. It wasn't until afterwards, when I got back uh, after the, you know, I debriefed with the team and whatnot that day, that I started getting phone calls, and I mean, it, and our media coordinator was just saying it was going nuts, and I was like, you know, I couldn't understand why. I just had given, you right. know, my fellow competitor a ski. So. Uh and I'm talking to a lot of different athletes like that. With that action, why do, why do you think you did it? I just had empathy. I mean, I just I just felt like uh, if I was in that situation, I'd sure want to ski because the guy couldn't basically move. He kept falling and, uh, you know, his ski was all tangled up. The, the, the base of the ski was wrapped around and it was just a mess. And, the, and I just saw the Russian coaches standing there and they weren't helping him. I just couldn't, no one was doing anything except watching this guy just suffer. And uh, I just, you know, as soon as I, I saw that he was coming near me and that I could I could help him, then I, I, I guess, you know, it's one of those things you just don't think, you just right. act. Right. And, and that's kind of the reason why I ask because so many people have gotten back to me and they really just say, I don't know. You know, yeah. even if it was Abby D'Angostino, um, you know some some Ironman triathletes, and what do you think it was about? Um, you know, was there something in your upbringing that that I mean, do you think maybe prepared you for that event? You know, that moment because there's really not time to think; you just kind of act. We always yeah, we always I, wired that way. I mean, what do you think it was? I think in my upbringing for sure. I mean, I was you know just like a lot of us taught to be do do the right thing. You know, just. Um, yeah, take care, you know, we're all humans, we're all on the planet, we're all sharing things, there's, you know, I'm really not a nationalistic person, I really believe that, you know, I, of course when we're out there competing for Canada or the United States or whoever, you're cheering for your athletes, but I mean, at the end of the day, the, the thing that makes sport so beautiful is that it's just people giving it their best, and, and for someone to give their best, and uh, they need, you know, the right equipment and fair opportunities, and and uh, I guess this, I was just trying to provide that for this athlete. So, yeah, it's just trying to do the right thing. So another question on that, if um, obviously, what if never happened? And I know this is kind of a difficult question, but do you think that if 
some of your guys would have done better if you would have meddled, do you think that still would have taken place? I mean, would you have been in that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I, I had been in that opportunity before. There were opportunities in other World Cups where my athletes were in the race and another athlete from a country broke a pole and I gave them a pole, basically leveling the playing field and giving them an opportunity to beat my athlete. So I don't know if that that's the question, but yeah, I, I mean, I had done it before in a few different situations and you know my athletes never think poorly of it I always hope that another coach in the same given the same situation would give my athlete a pole or a ski uh, that's one thing I think that makes cross-country skiing pretty cool is that the 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 all everyone really does try to you know they'd realize how hard a sport it is and and give each other those opportunities it's kind of the culture yeah. If you don't, someone, if they ski by you and you have a ski pole and they have a broken pole and you don't give it to them, it's kind of frowned upon. Uh, so it's a bit of our ski, cross country ski culture as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of the things that, uh, that I've seen. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It's cool. Cool for that. I mean, our sport, like I said, it's people know in the sport how hard it is. And I think we all just want to give our athletes a fair opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of referring to because in that race, I mean, obviously, I mean, you're you've prepared for that that day. Uh, you're crestfallen. I mean, obviously, you're hurting inside. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and then you still have the presence of mind to to take action. Yeah, I, maybe I should have been in the trees crying over my spilled beer, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, I was out there, and it, like I said, you know, Rob, it just didn't, I didn't think about it. It was just what what I was trained to do and what I had been raised to do, I guess, as a, a person and a human, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you were to, in terms of generally just helping people with mental toughness, what do you think people need to be aware of and, you know, say, you know, somebody's watching this, how do I get to be mentally tough? What is it that... If that one piece of information you'd share with them, what would it be? Ooh, that's a big question. I mean, I I do think it's um, I think it comes in small stages, and like I said before, it's not a tangible thing. You have to you have to take take these small steps and work towards it, and try to have I guess a general outline of what you're trying to accomplish because it's it is so intangible that. If you don't have an outline, you're not really sure if you are making those incremental changes. And and I guess it's it's just being, you know, I guess what I go back to, and it's a real catchword these days, but our sports psychologist, Charlene Hoare, uh, had always used it from day one working with her is being mindful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a real, like I said, it's a real catchword now, but it is, you know, if you're always trying to be in the moment, you can do a lot of powerful things. It's it's when you're thinking about other things, but you're in a situation, those 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 things don't cross and work very well a lot of times. So just but if you're in the moment and you're focused on what you're doing and you know you're surrounded, you're comfortable with everything around you and you're focused on your surroundings, then all of a sudden you can start to be a lot more aware of things and start to make those changes based on keywords or whatever training you've done to help yourself uh, make those small changes. And and um, and I think that can be in all kinds of situations, from uh, our relationships that we're in every day to you know 
things you uh, students in school work with with testing or whatever it is there's just you know a day-to-day -day life it's it's mental toughness and mental preparation is for life and if you <laughs> and if you just focus on just sport you're you're missing about three quarters of the picture I feel like um, and that's why with our athletes and our team we had this culture of of excellence and culture of of uh, kind of this code of conduct which had a lot of ties ties back to mental uh, preparation and mental toughness yeah so it's uh, I, I like to I like have a, a more holistic wide range of mental preparation and mental toughness and then I think it's easier to carry out then in those uh, athletic situations um, like the Olympic Games so um, yeah it's that's got the kind of pinnacle of the the mental preparation is when you're at the Olympics and something really goes wrong or something goes right you know what how you respond and and uh, but it's day-to-day -day life and the practice and the mindful mindfulness that will take you up to that place where you can handle those uh, major situations yeah no I think it's fantastic even having that that blueprint of, of mental toughness oh yeah because uh, I, I say it again and again it's it's a really hard thing to, you can't, you know, when you go and train, you, you feel the sweat, you feel your muscles ache afterwards, and then maybe a day or two or three later, you kind of feel stronger, or, or two, a month later, or two weeks later, whatever it is, you feel stronger. But in mental training, it's really hard to judge uh, where you are in the process. And so you, you need a good blueprint and, uh, and then, you know, some way to try to, to mark your progress. And yeah. I think th those ways are through time trials or, you know, just or day-to-day -day mindfulness. And, and you catch yourself and you're like, whoa, I, I'm doing that and I wasn't even aware of it. And now that's a step, a notch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like that. You know, we kind of measure what we treasure sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. So, Coach, what is, um, what's what's next for you? I mean, obviously, I mean, a coach, you love coaching, that's your passion. What, uh, what do you see to be next? <laughs> You know, I'm actually in a situation where I I, uh, I want to be with my family more. Coaching is a great occupation, and uh, but in our sport, uh, a lot of the year is spent traveling. In yeah. Europe, I was traveling over 200 days a year with the team, and uh, I, I want to be with my children more and and uh, and my family, my wife. So I've definitely made a transition away from coaching and more family time and and support. Uh, my wife's uh, endeavors and uh, because you know I had spent 10 years on the road and that was hard on everybody and uh, now I, I want to kind of give back and and make sure I'm there for my family so that's those are my uh, th those are kind of my goals these days and and it's working out really well and it's probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done so yeah absolutely. life's good you know I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that answer so much because I you know, a coach is a coach, and I just really—I um, think it's the most important person in today's society. And I don't think people have an appreciation of how hard and how much effort. And because I mean, you're coaching. I mean, like you said, I mean, you're going so much. And uh, oh, you want to give—you want to give everything. If you're a passionate coach and a passionate person, you want to give everything and give the best opportunities for your athletes and the people you're working with and the staff you're working with. And, and to do that, it really takes a lot and it's a 24 seven job, you know, and that was one, you know, fair complaint I got from my wife, you know, the athletes were, you know, calling a lot and you just have to set those, 
those limits and those parameters so you can give yourself a coach, a, a longevity in the profession. Yeah. So I think that's a really important uh, aspect of it that maybe, you know, being as passionate as I was, I didn't, I didn't set those parameters uh, tightly enough because I always just wanted to do the best for everybody. Right. But it's, a, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a full time gig and, uh, but it's also really rewarding. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, where can people, um, you know, follow you, find out more about you? <laughs> well, I don't do Facebook. I don't uh, have a Twitter account. <laughs> you know, it's it's. You I'm, can plug I'm, your what, wife's in if you want. Yeah, no, I. You know, uh, my wife Becky Scott uh, has a, a nonprofit organization that I've been working with. With uh, so I've been coaching this year more with the First Nations and Aboriginal youth here in Canada that don't have the opportunities that a lot of us had growing up. And uh, we're giving back to those communities. So it's her, uh, her program has been called Ski Fit North Alberta. And uh, her name's Becky Scott. She's an Olympic gold medalist in oh, cross-country yeah. skiing. So you can, uh, you can follow what she's doing. She also is uh, the chairman of the Athlete Commission for the World Anti-Doping Association. And uh, she does a lot of great things for anti-doping in the world. Um, and so uh, you can reach out to her on her Facebook and uh, through her social media. But uh, yeah, it's a, for me, I, I'm always I'm more focused on, uh, I'm not out there in the social media world. I, it takes, I felt like it took too much of my time and I wanted to be more present. Um, more with mindful. My, yeah, more mindful. Got it. <laughs> So that uh, even though I see the, the the positiveness of technology and social media, and it has a lot of great things uh, for me personally, uh, I just felt like it would consume too much of my time. So I'm I kind of pull myself. So you can also reach me at my uh, email, which is uh, ytwads like ytwads at aol.com. If anyone wants to contact me for sure. questions or whatever, I'm happy to. Uh, to answer emails i do i do check that form of technology <laughs> nice it's still a good one yeah it still works pretty well i'll uh, i'll post those links uh on there and uh coach thank you again so much for your time and uh and just sharing your, your wisdom and experience with us today oh thanks rob i appreciate you and your time thank you very much Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.